Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of the Cryptonary Podcast. Today we're here with Katana, a yield generation protocol on Solana. They've won a prize during the Solana Hackathon, so I'm very excited to speak with Ayush, one of the founders. And I'm here with Kareem as well, he's one of our researchers. So we're going to be uh, picking their brains about what's coming in the future and what they're doing right now. Cryptonary's hosts and guests are not registered financial advisors. All opinions are Cryptonary's alone. Nothing discussed in the podcast should be considered as investment advice or should be relied on upon investment decisions. This podcast is purely for information and entertainment purposes only. Now I've said all this, let's go. Hey guys. Hey, how's it going? Hey Ayush, hi Sam. Pleasure to be here and uh, really excited. Yeah, Ayush, to start off, I would like to know how you got into crypto and why you started uh, building on Solana. Yeah, so my journey in crypto was pretty random, actually. I got connected. Um, so I was mostly in AI and fintech earlier this year, and I sort of only learned about crypto in March. Um, and so I had a mutual friend that had a connection to Delphi Digital, which is a research firm in the space. And he made the connection I was initially just looking for something, you know, part-time on the side. And then after connecting with Delphi, I spent that weekend reading everything I could about DeFi, crypto, et cetera. And it was just perfectly in line with my interests. Um, so I decided to actually leave my job at the time and, and join Delphi full-time um, as a founding engineer on Mars Protocol, which is a money market on Terra. Um, so they were just building out their labs division at the time. And so it was a it was sort of a great learning experience. And also for me, you know, just spent a lot of time learning everything I could about crypto in general and, and DeFi in particular. So that was kind of my pathway into crypto overall. Um, so I, as I mentioned, I was building on Terra initially. And then there was the previous, so the Solana season hackathon that happened in May. And so I actually decided just since I was already writing in Rust, um, just for fun, I would enroll in the hackathon. And so I started a project called Laguna Finance. Um, it was an asset management ecosystem on Solana. And so I ended up uh, getting all my friends to, to join and we were working on this thing. And then we ended up winning the Radium Prize at that hackathon. So that was kind of my first foray into Solana. And then I never left um, after that. Yeah, that's really cool. And after that hackathon, you started working on Katana. To uh, start off, could you explain our listeners what Katana is? Yeah, sure. So Katana is a yield generation protocol. Um, so we offer simplified access to the best yields in the ecosystem. And then the way in which we generate this yield is from automated option strategies that kind of run as, as code on the blockchain. So for example, we have two products today. One is covered calls and the second is put selling. So cash secured puts. And essentially what this enables is... Um, in a vault format, one can simply deposit and withdraw, and then they get access to this optimized covered call strategy or optimized cash secured put strategy that executes autonomously. And secondly, gives them this perpetual exposure where they don't need to manage their positions for years if they didn't want to, and then they can come back and kind of claim their yield. So it's a nice way to in a way, express market opinions without actively managing any positions on chain. And this is beneficial from both like a, a time standpoint, as well as like a strategy execution standpoint, where we run a competitive auction with market makers 
Um, so we create entirely new strikes for even long tail assets. So we support things like Ray, which, you know, Deribit, for example, doesn't support. And so this is like a nice way to access covered calls on long tail assets in addition to like traditional, you know, Sol, ETH, BTC, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of the purpose of the product. And then where we're going from here is a full yield generation protocol. So offering different risk exposures as well, in addition to the strategies that we currently offer, expanding the asset suite, and then really doubling down on, um, I think, a couple of different directions as well in the future. I see. And why did you decide to build this on Solana? Because, of course, we're seeing like a lot of different protocols being built, but why did you go for a yield generation protocol and not maybe something like we've seen with uh, Zeta markets or other uh, DEXs? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And so I actually, just right before the um, recent hackathon ended, my friend Eric and I decided to submit something for the hackathon. Um, And so like the natural thing for me was to revisit the asset management idea that I had worked on back in May and choosing a subset of that. So back then we were trying to do a little of everything. Um, So we were doing liquid staking, auto compounder, you know, faults and strategies, et cetera, et cetera, like structured products was on the roadmap. But I think the the more advantageous positioning is to do one thing really well. And so that's what we learned from, from that previous hackathon and decided to implement here, where essentially structured products are very nascent space um, in DeFi overall. And I think it's a very important piece to the overall ecosystem. And, and we believe that we could deliver kind of the best product, you know, in, in that sector. So that was the reasoning behind structured products. And then why Solana, I think is a good question. And for us, I think it comes down to my passion is to build products that real people use. Um, and, and I think Solana is uniquely positioned to onboard retail at scale. So because of that, I chose Solana initially back in May, um, kind of randomly, but never left because of this reason. So that's sort of the, uh, you know, why Solana question as well. I see. And Kareem, you have some experience in uh, options and like these kind of strategies. So I wonder if you have any questions about like the product itself or maybe the covered calls, because you're a bit more experienced in these products than I am. Yeah. So I've been looking at the, uh, well, trying out your platform, to be honest, really cool thing that you've built there, because I think options are a product that you know, as derivatives, they're just going to keep rising from here over the next few years in crypto. They haven't really been mass adopted by any means like perpetuals. I've said this multiple times on previous podcasts. What's interesting is that you've made it in a way that's very retail friendly. Anyone can come in and just plug their assets in a very simple manner into a vault. My question is more related to the back end because the back end, the, the, you're exclusive with Psy Options, right? So we're not exclusive with anyone per se. Um, but yes, currently today we, we only use Psy Options um, and integrating with Zeta, you know, very, very soon in the future. Okay, yeah, well, honestly, that was going to be my question if you were planning to integrate with Zeta Markets. Um, yep. We'll talk a bit more about the product. Then I have questions just to pick your brains more so about options. But to our listeners, right, because a lot of them, they, I think they have a decent idea of what options are now after like all the podcasts we've done about them. 
But can you explain what covered calls are? Because for now, these are the main strategy available to generate yield on Katana. So can you just explain this in a very simple manner for someone who is not familiar with covered calls? Yeah, totally. I think at a high level, the way to think about covered calls is you're selling potential upside on an asset in return for guaranteed yield today. Um, And so the way in which our covered call strategies work is that we select sort of a price. So this is called the strike price, where essentially it exceeds the market price today and is the price at which we are willing to sell the asset in return for the yield that we get, right? So there's sort of a balance between two things. Number one is how willing are you to sell the asset? And then where do you think the asset's going to be at expiry? And then maybe the third is like, what yield are you optimizing for, right? So naturally, the closer the strike price is, so the closer the selected selling price is to the current market price, the higher value you're going to get for your options, which translates to more yield for the vault. So here, we're kind of playing a careful balance there where we are choosing strikes that are relatively unlikely to be exercised in return for still a very meaningful yield today. So if you take a look at our web app, you know, we're generating somewhere around, you know, 40, 50% on Seoul, like sometimes, you know, I think uh, around 100% on Luna. Um, So there's kind of a Mm -hmm. variation there, but it's really dependent on the price we get for the options. Um, So there are a couple of considerations on the covered call. So like, you know, why use a covered call or like when would you consider running a covered call strategy? So I think the first thing is, it's a generally kind of market neutral slash slightly bullish strategy where you are making a bet that the actual asset will stay likely under the strike price. Um, you can be happy in both scenarios because what happens if you increase, a, like what if the price of, let's say, a sole covered call, for example, we can kind of walk through the steps. So initially, we take sole into a vault, right? And what we do is we mint option tokens on Psy Options, taking the soul and locking it up there. And we mint these call options. Afterwards, we run a competitive auction process in which we sell these options to market makers. And that sale is then locking in additional yield. So that's done in the underlying asset. So we'll get bids in soul, and then they'll send, you know, soul to this escrow contract where then the vault, you know, holds the soul after disbursement. So now the vault has earned some additional soul. And then we kind of play this waiting game where we're waiting until the expiry where we've selected a strike price on our options. So let's say Sol is trading at 200 today and um, we selected a strike price of $220. So if Sol stays below the 220, nothing happens. The options expire worthless and we benefit from like, you know, all the upside of Sol plus that initial yield. Um, so we're outperforming in USDC terms and we're outperforming in, in sole terms as well. In the scenario that sole price exceeds 220 at expiry, then the options are exercised, which means that we actually sell our options at 220 and let's say the market price is 230. So we sell our options slightly early, but keep in mind that we have this yield to offset that. Plus we're up in USDC terms because we are also holding sole. So we benefit from all the appreciation up to, but not exceeding 220. Um, So that's kind of the covered call is like, you want the thing to go up to the strike price, but not exceed it. Um, So you get all the price appreciation plus that initial yield from selling the options. Okay. Who chooses the strike price? Is it on a discretionary basis or is it like coded? 
Yeah, we run an algorithm that selects the strike price um, okay. where we essentially target a certain delta. And mm-hmm. the second thing is is we kind of take into consideration market conditions at the time um, when determining the strike. Okay. For now, based off of what I'm seeing in terms of like the strategies that you've chosen, you're, you have like a bullish bias towards crypto for the most part. Like you're not buying puts by any means. You're not putting up that as a vault. My question is, how sustainable are those yields? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think the big competitive advantage when comparing to yield farming. Um, so these these yields are actually very sustainable. One could say like they're the only real yields in the ecosystem. So these are generated, importantly, not from liquidity mining programs, but rather from price action and um, you know volatility on certain assets. So. The key consideration here is that liquidity mining by its very nature is finite. Um, Like you can only give out so many tokens and it kind of depreciates the more assets, you know, you put to work, right? So if there's a certain farm and, uh, you know, you put a hundred million dollars, eventually you're going to kind of trend towards 0% APY. And so here this kind of scales very well with, with more value. So these yields are particularly sustainable. And then secondly, they're very nice way to place certain market views more generally without having to actively manage your position. So the vault itself automates the entire strategy for you, requires no background knowledge on your end beyond the fact that you need to understand why to use the strategy, but you don't need to execute anything yourself. And secondly, you know, there are a lot of taxable like events that you would incur if you did it yourself. Where instead, you know, the vault actually takes all of those and the vault then removes that from you. Um, so it's a much mm-hmm. more efficient process as well. Okay. I really like the tax efficiency part there. How would it affect, because you were talking about, you know, how it can sustain those yields to some extent, um, yeah. even with an increase in uh, TVL, right? Yep. My question is, how does that affect overall volatility in the market? Because first, is there an effect? And second, if the TVL grows to a very large, you know, by a very large multiple, does that affect overall volatility? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And, and so currently today, you know, our size is around $40 million in TVL. So such that like, we are very unlikely to affect the market in any means. But that's a great, like, point that in the scenario where, you know, it's, it's, it's a couple billion dollars in the protocol, especially for the long tail asset. So I guess it's asset by asset. Um, so let's say the market cap of a, like the circulating market cap of a certain um, long tail assets, let's say it's Ray was, was $300 million. Then if we have $50 million of that in a vault uh, and we're selling these call options, um, that actually might be an issue. And so we, therefore cap the vaults. Um, if you've been on our web app, you know, we, we kind of limit capacity. Mm-hmm. And currently, that's just, um, you know, that's just to create this sort of notion of increasing caps over time and, and, and momentum. But there will be a point at which that is, is, is a measure of like, you know, do we want to move the market? Um, and we obviously don't. So we want to cap the vaults kind of below the threshold at which these strategies like because also the market makers need to hedge elsewhere. And if there's not enough, you know, sort of ter- circulating tokens and, and volume, then that would be 
impossible or you know less than ideal for them. So that's why we institute these these caps, um, which today are completely irrelevant, but in the future will be important to sort of manage, you know, moving the market and um, price impact overall. Okay. Yes. Interesting. As, as you mentioned, you went uh, live on Mainnet in uh, December. What is the feedback from the community like, and how is like the the tests and everything going right now? Yeah. No. It's been it's been awesome. So I think like just for yeah the full the full product journey. So we started this project in mid October, six days before the Solana Ignition Hackathon, and um, back then we sort of in those six days put together like a really bare bones MVP, just it, it, you know, it worked, um, but it wasn't beautiful. And we submitted to the hackathon, we ended up winning the grand prize at the hackathon, which was awesome. And, you know, that gave us a lot of exposure, um, you know, added a lot of members to, you know, Samurai community. And for us, gave us a lot of positive feedback that, you know, people actually want this product. And we spent the next couple weeks actually, you know, productionizing and testing the code. We launched a public devnet, you know, late November. And then we launched mainnet early December. And so I guess not early December, but mid-December. Um, so we've been live for two weeks at this point. Now, at, you know, 40 million TVL and like the growth has been awesome. I think like the general pieces of criticism, you know, and, and something we need to work on, I think, as a whole industry is, is like the general explainability of our strategies. Um, so today, if you kind of go on our web app, we're assuming some prior knowledge of the specific strategy and you know why one would use it. Where ideally, we're actually not assuming anything and we can educate the user on the web app itself. Um, and then there's another, there's another question that often arises around, you know, why would one use the strategy? Um, and so that also needs to be explained, I think through educational content that we put out, whether it's blog posts, video series, um, you know, even in the Discord, et cetera, et cetera. So I think overall the, response has been overwhelmingly positive um, and something that we're we're really proud of. Um, and then the next leg of work for us, I think, is really polishing our design. Um, and then secondly, enhancing the explainability um, of the overall product in the web app itself and then also outside with supplementary resources. What yeah, are the, I feel uh, like the ex explainability is an issue with most option protocols because they're like... Uh, more complicated than most of the DeFi uh, we have seen before. Do you think it's like something different protocols could also work together with, like uh, for example, you and Zida or Psy? Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's a good point. And generally, the more complex stuff has lagged um, due to a lack of explainability. And so, for us, the way I see it is is we can really double down on the explainability front and. That'll come through our docs, through our web app, and then overall, you know, how we talk about the product. And I think that that's the whole value add of our product, actually, is that it simplifies things to the, to the degree where, you know, you're just depositing into a vault. Obviously, you need to understand why to deposit into that vault. But beyond that, you don't need to understand the intricacies of options pricing, strike selection, position management, and rollover, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the whole value add of our product. And we need to fill in that last piece where we don't want to assume any prior knowledge and then have all the explainability on the web app itself. Okay, that's great. I think that's something we could help out with as Cryptonary, to be fair. I'd love to talk further about it later on after the podcast in terms of educational awesome. content. 
My yeah, question is regarding options in general. As I was saying, overall, I'm bullish on options in DeFi, right? Not particular to any specific protocol by any means, um, but just like the general notion of options. So far, we've not seen any real traction whatsoever, whether that be over on Ethereum or Solana in terms of options protocols. Do you think the introduction of vaults such as what you're doing now with Katana can help boost, uh, you know, I wouldn't say like total adoption, but sort of the usage of options overall and just the numbers, volumes, TVLs over, uh, you know, so, so on and so forth for DeFi options? I believe so, yeah. And and kind of going back to, you know, your initial point, right? Like today, options are complex. DeFi users aren't particularly financially sophisticated. Um, and then secondly, I think are hesitant to use the options platforms that have existed to date. Um, and so I think the next big, you know, innovation in the option space is, is kind of this vault stuff, right? Like it's packaging up different strategies that are interesting to retail but giving it in a way that, you know, they actually don't need to interface with the options protocol. The option protocol still benefits here because we're driving significant TVL to them. And the user benefits because they're getting, you know, they're maximizing their utility function of getting access to these types of yields um, and being able to place these market views um, in an automated fashion. So I think we've seen that actually in the last two weeks, um, you know, PsyOptions TVL has spiked because of these options option vaults that exist, right? So that's maybe our like our big value add to the options protocols is, you know, we, we drive a lot of liquidity to them. And the question is, you know, why? And, and it's really about simplifying these and automating these exposures that retail actually wants. Because even if retail was to interface with the option protocols directly, there are a couple issues. Um, so number one, there's not liquidity for a wide variety of strikes, right? So if you go directly to in options protocol today, you know, there's there's not the opportunity to cycle between, you know, 200 call on soul versus 202 call on soul, for example, right? So we can actually select any strike um, in existence because we have this select group of market makers where we run this automated, um, you know, auction process that actually, you know, doesn't require us to have liquidity on the books per se, because we create our own liquidity through this auction um, and we transfer OTC. So that's like sort of the big value add of the vaults in addition to, you know, the simplification and the tax benefits and, and um, you know, the perpetual exposure that, because the vaults roll over automatically, you don't need to manage your option positions every week per se as well. So that's maybe the way I think about, you know, the next leg of options volume in DeFi. And mm-hmm. then I think the other thing to to note is that DeFi is particularly well positioned for all the long tail assets, right? Like today, Deribit doesn't involve itself in in like you know Ray call options or, or Stake yeah. Soul call options, and and we we do, and so I think it's it's natural that this will come out of DeFi, right? So it's it's very positive sign for DeFi options protocols, and then you know also for us is is that we can deliver a lot of value to the ecosystem by offering these long-tail assets that nobody else offers. Okay, interesting. Very interesting. I agree. I think that for the most part, it's been a liquidity issue because we've seen this happen once with options protocol on Ethereum. I'm not going to name names, but initially they wanted to go with the long-tail assets, but what they realized is there's not much liquidity there, and then they had to um, reduce the number of 
assets that they offered options for. So I think that was the main point of concern maybe for Derivit. But I do agree with you that it needs to happen and it is happening and it's only happening now with DeFi. I'm going to ask you a bit more, less about options and more about the protocol design a little bit, if you don't mind, like, you know, economically speaking. So right now I go to Katana, I use one of the vaults, I I earn some yield, right? What fee am I being charged? Yeah, and this is a great question. And I think one of the important points of differentiation between us and all the other options protocols. Um, so today, Katana has no fees. Um, so you keep all your yield. Um, and that's an important consideration for us, where in the early days, we really want to drive you know maximum value to the user without like with, while reducing any friction in the process, right? And so what that means is no fees, you keep all your profits. And this enables us to like, you know, test and, and sort of iterate to product market fit accordingly. And then in the future, one could imagine, you know, leaving the lever on for governance to turn on fees if the community thinks it's it's the right move, right? So very much a Uniswap model in that scenario. And for us, I think, you know, we don't want to turn the fees on ourselves, but want it to be a community-driven decision there. So that's sort of the important consideration when, when looking at, you know, the different choices on the market is that, you know, you keep all your yield on mm-hmm. Katana. That's very interesting. To be fair, as someone who's probably going to be part of your community, if you were to, well, I am part of your community, but I mean, once you awesome. do drop <laughs> a token, I mean, uh, in terms of governance, I would, you know, my opinion would be you need to charge some sort of fee, right? Because for it to, to sustain over time, like any protocol, I just don't see how a fee-less protocol can uh, sustain itself over time, especially if something needs to be dedicated in terms of like portion of treasury or portion of revenue towards devs for upgrades, so on and so forth. I think it's the way to go to charge some sort of fee. I'm not saying it'll be a hefty one, but like, Certainly. I don't know, yeah. 10, 20 yeah, basis think, points. Yep. And and we want to leave that decision to governance. Um, I think like the considerations naturally are, you know, obviously these protocols aren't, um, you know, charities like they're supposed to be kind of these revenue generating sustainable protocol models right like again yeah. this is not this is not our business you know we're, we're just yeah. contributors to this larger protocol and we want this protocol to grow and sustain itself over time while we remain core contributors to the actual development right and so naturally um you know at, at, at some point we want to drive enough value to the user um where they're happy to pay this fee because you know it, it is the best product out there and so that's the, um, I think that's the place we want to get to. And in the early days, while we're still iterating to that, you know, perfect product, you know, and, and I guess that's a continual journey, right? We never actually get there. Um, there are always things to improve. But for us right now, I think it's important to have no fees and give mm-hmm. our users like the maximum benefit where they can tell us what needs to be improved. Um, you know, how does the protocol need to change? And, and we implement those without kind of adding any layer of, of friction to the, to the end consumer. Interesting. I'm not going to beat around the bush and try to phrase my question in you know a more subtle manner. Are you are you going to do an airdrop? <laughs> um, I cannot uh, you know confirm nor deny that statement. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think for you know our our community, I think that there are certainly ways in which we'd like to reward them, and I think that's that's simply a matter like 
today we don't have any public um, information on a, on a token, right, or potential token. So, yeah, I, I sort of, I think the general, you know, the general model we're going after is we want to design a really robust mechanism for, you know, enduring protocol, um, for building an enduring protocol on Solana, right? And so I think today, you know, Solana hasn't been super creative on the mechanism design front. I think you're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of the innovative stuff happen on Ethereum. Um, and some things are really working, some things are not. Um, and then the benefit we have is we can see what has happened there, use it as like yep. a, a sort of like, you know, a, a piece of signal at least in making and our... Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, it, this this sort of like comparison is available even between TratFi and DeFi, right? You look at the things that worked there, most probably they're going to be replicated over here. And then, as you said, looking at Ethereum, um, for things that have worked and then um, building on top of it and, you know, new mechanisms that Solana's blockchain would allow that Ethereum, that there would be quite hard to do on Ethereum. Um, that's definitely the way to go. I mean, me personally, my thesis on options for the most part in terms of facts and proof, I just look at it in terms of like how prominent they are in TratFi, right? And I just don't see a world with that, where that's not like replicated yep. um, in DeFi as well. So I definitely agree with that approach 100%. As a founder, right, what's your ultimate vision for Katana? And post-Katana, what are your plans, whether that be in the Solana ecosystem or other ecosystems? I'm very intrigued to hear more about that. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a great question. And for us, um, the vision has really always been to offer the most robust yield generation protocol. And so that means offering packaged products across the spectrum of risk where users can passively access, you know, the best risk-adjusted yields in the ecosystem. Um, and so what does that mean to us? Well, actually, we're not only focused on retail. Um, so we want to offer the best, most optimized products for retail. Plus, really, I think a big portion of our future roadmap goes into treasuries and treasury management, um, which historically has been kind of put on the back burner. Really, DAOs and treasuries haven't taken it as like a you know a serious concept but now you're seeing this narrative emerge where these treasuries are enormous right and and they should be treated as like these revenue producing you know sources of funds right where yeah kind of going back to protocol sustainability like how do you sustain a protocol if the money is just sitting in the bank account right like inflation is still a thing and and volatility is still a thing and you see that in a lot of protocol treasuries today that the majority of their treasury is actually just in their native token and that isn't great for long-term sustainability. When you think about the volatility in the crypto market, it's hard to reason about your runway if, you know, things change 80% every day, right? So that's where I think treasury management is a huge part of what we can add to the ecosystem and building out a very robust set of treasury products that can help, you know, all the DAOs, <coughs> all the DAOs in the ecosystem better manage their funds. Um, because at this point, I think it's skating to where the puck's going to be on Solana, where today, you know, there aren't too many big treasuries, right? Like it's mostly the people or the projects that have done IDOs that are sitting on significant cash. But I think in the future, you're going to see, you know, everything sort of DAOify eventually, right? And for us, we want to be the leader in that department um, and we want to be the go-to solution on treasury management. So that's kind of, I think, the big vision for the, you know, future. And so with regards to like, the last part of the question on on like plans, you know, after Katana, I think for me, I plan on you know 
being at Katana for a very, very long time um, as like a core contributor and, and for like, you know, general planned projections, I, I would say like, you know, this is a very long-term oriented project that I don't imagine needing to plan for, for anything else unless it goes, you know, horribly wrong. So um, yeah. at this point, I think, you know, on Katana for the foreseeable future. Awesome. Yeah, and yeah. I have also a question about like a more short-term uh, update, like in the coming months, what do you expect to uh, deliver? Are there any things we should be excited about maybe in the first quarter of this year? Yep, yeah, so certainly a couple big ones. Um, so number one is a full UI redesign. Um, so you can expect a lot better explainability in the web app. You can expect a lot better explainability overall, you know, in the general katana sphere of, of resources that we publish we're going to start publishing research we're going to be much more active with our community and you can expect a lot more community events we also just want to make it a fun place to hang out like in our discord you know generally on twitter and and i think a lot of that is is just our general ethos like we don't do this you know just for the sake of of trying to build this very serious you know options protocol but secondly i think it's important that and i think DeFi has really embraced this ethos that you know everyone's having fun along the way and we're all kind of in this experimental sphere of finance where uh, I think like a lot of that youthful exuberance needs to be communicated through our product. And then secondly, through how we engage with our community. Um, so those are the big updates. And then we will be releasing kind of some some big news like very shortly as well. So I would definitely like stay tuned. I think this is going to be a huge quarter and just kind of doubling down on on the last couple months of work to really make this a long-lasting and, and sustainable protocol. And as you mentioned, you've been active in the Solana ecosystem since March. So I wonder, like, are there any projects you are excited about yourself that you have used or currently use that we should also maybe try out or look into? Yeah, a ton, actually. So, I mean, the, um, the big ones that, you know, sort of are already big, um, whether they've launched or haven't, a lot of them came from that previous hackathon, so the Solana Season Hackathon. Um, so that's where I went. I met the folks at Saber. I actually lived with them this summer. I met the folks at PsyOptions, Zeta, a lot of the like bigger protocols that you're seeing, like you know, on Mainnet or come to Mainnet. That's been awesome to see, from like you know, ideation to like a full working protocol on Mainnet. And then I think like a couple of the the sort of newer ones that are coming up. Uh, I'm very excited about Squads, um, which is you know like multi-sig for Solana and, and, and governance for Solana. Um, so a packaged product for governance, and, and I think DAOs will benefit hugely from that. Secondly, I think you know, you're seeing a lot of interesting work being done on the DAO side. Um, so if you've seen a project called Reverie, they're not exclusive to Solana by any means, but they're sort of trending into the ecosystem and, and starting to work with different projects on their governance and, and how they set up their grants programs, et cetera. So, those are a couple. Delta One is an interesting one. You know, it's a stable coin. It's a yield-bearing stable coin. And so uh, a lot of interesting experiments like that. And, and I think overall, you're seeing the Solana ecosystem mature quite significantly you know, in the last couple months, where I think the previous phase of Solana, let's say, um, was very much like, let's bring the primitives from Ethereum to Solana um, so that we can build on top. We can build like entirely new products that were only possible, you know, based on the sort of TPS and, and cheap fees on Solana, right? So that was sort of the, now I think we're entering like the more exciting phase. And, and so that's where you're seeing like a lot of these newer projects. But yeah, I think there's a ton that, you know, I, I would be here all day 
So definitely very excited for the ecosystem overall. And I think there are a lot of nice pieces coming together, including like, you know, Phantom's mobile app and the NFTs have taken off with Metaplex. So lots of exciting um, news, I think, for the ecosystem in general. Before we wrap up, you mentioned NFTs. Can you talk a bit about Katana Pass and that, you know, your own NFT? Yeah, for sure. So actually, there's a funny story behind the Katana Pass because initially we were actually going to make it, um, or we did do this, we made it sort of this alpha gated ticket where in order to access our protocol, you actually needed to hold the NFT. And so we ran like kind of this random lottery initially. And so that was that was great. But I do think, you know, for, for signal reasons, like we want to offer our product to everyone in order to like, you know, get the best feedback. And so we quickly decided like, you know, that wasn't the best approach. So instead what we did was we, we decided to kind of change the model at which we distributed the NFTs from something that, you know, was, I think, uh, you know, relatively restrictive to something that was entirely open. And we essentially rewarded past users, treating it as memorabilia of sorts, where anyone who deposited into the first round of Katana Vaults then was a, like airdropped um, this this free NFT um, to, to sort of like mark that they were early adopters, um, you know, OGs, if you will. So it's like, that was sort uh... of the... Kind of like yeah. in a game where you get like an item when you are uh, like doing the first level or are one of the early uses. Exactly. Like yeah, a, and it's like sort of an like Xbox. Uh, yep. Yep. Um, and so that was the plan with the uh, with the past NFTs. So they're primarily meant to sort of symbolize that you know you were an early adopter on Katana and like you know in the future you know hopefully that's like a really a really cool place to be. And so that's um. That's that NFT. And then I'm generally very excited about the future of NFTs and how they could play into DeFi um, and maybe how they could play into the community side as well. Um, so definitely exploring ideas there, very open to like, you know, recommendations from the community. And I think we just want to deliver the best, you know, experience to the community overall. And if I imagine like, you know, some of that might involve NFTs um, and we're definitely keen on exploring it. Hey, Yush, before we uh, wrap up the podcast and uh, we're going to the ending, I want to know where our members and listeners can find you, the protocol, your Discord. Like, what's the easiest way to learn more about Katana? Yeah, totally. So I think a couple couple venues. So Katana Twitter is at Katana underscore HQ. We have our website at Katana.so, which you can find all the socials. And then me personally, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is my first and last name with the underscore at the end. So A-Y-U-S-H-M-E-N-O-N underscore on Twitter. Um, so yeah, like, again, please feel free to reach out to me personally. Always happy to answer questions. And then definitely join the Discord. I think it's a great community that's forming there. And also would love, you know, for anyone to use the product at app.katana.so if they're interested. So I think those are the premier venues. And then, you know, we'll kind of add to that as necessary in the future. Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, you coming to our podcast. And I'm also glad you were here, Kareem, to help me in terms of the technical questions. So yeah, I hope our members have uh, learned something new about Solana and options and all these cool protocols. It's always yeah, a pleasure, no, honestly, to pick um, builders' brains. And Ayush, it's been a pleasure talking to you and picking your brain. Looking forward for more conversations, not necessarily on podcasts. But yeah, it was a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me, guys. And, and this is awesome. Thanks for the listeners and, and definitely looking forward to 
any sort of collaboration in the future as well. Thanks for listening, awesome. guys. Have a great day.